Tonight I want to reflect on what child is this? What is this child we celebrate here tonight? After all, many babies have been born since then. Many babies are born every day. Many babies were born that day. And yet here we are, 2,000 years later, gathering together to celebrate the birth of this baby. So who is this child? What child is this? And in order to explore that, I'm going to go in a little bit of an unusual direction. I'm going to go to the Old Testament, to the story of Moses. And it's a strange move, but it's not a move that's originally mine. It's actually Matthew's, but we're going to get there in a moment. Moses was born while the people of Israel were slaves in Egypt. They had gone there in the days of Joseph to be saved from a large drought and actually saved the people of Egypt. But they had been there for some generations and a Pharaoh came to power that didn't know who these Israelites were. They didn't know the story of Joseph. And so he felt threatened by them. He made them into slaves. They had to make hard, them had to make bricks and work hard labor in Egypt. Because they were a growing people, Pharaoh also made the decree that all male children that were born to the Israelites were to be killed. They weren't to have any male children. Therefore, they would eventually, uh, there would be no more Israelites, right? Because they would not have another generation except for women who could marry Egyptians or other slaves. And two generations, everyone forget they were even Israelites. But Moses was born hidden in a basket, and floated down the Nile River. He's found by the queen and raised in the house of Pharaoh. When he's older, he tries to protect a Jew who is being abused by an Egyptian, and he ends up killing that Egyptian. He has to run away to the desert and spends 40 years uh, as a shepherd. He marries another uh, woman who is also a shepherd and helps take care of the flocks of his father-in-law. Spends 40 years alive in the desert until a burning bush one day tells him to go back and uh, lead the people out of Egypt. And so after a little debate, he goes back. He calls the people out, calls 10 plagues on them and then on the people of Egypt. And then the the major moment is when they get to the Red Sea and uh, he puts the staff down and the Red Sea parts and the people go across on dry land. They end up spending 40 years in the desert, which is something Moses was good at because he had already spent 40 years keeping sheep alive in some of those very same deserts. He, while he's there, he has to sort of retrain the people. No, don't live like you're in Egypt anymore. And they keep trying to be tempted to go back. Moses, take us back. Take us back. But he fights those temptations for them and says, no, no, no. We're going to train to live a new way. He goes up on the mountain, Mount Sinai, to meet with God. And he brings laws like the Ten Commandments down and instructions like how to build the tabernacle and how to worship God properly. And as he leads the people through the wilderness, he retrains them to a new kind of life. Not as possessions of Egyptians, but as God's chosen people. Moses dies on a mountain with a long piece of instructions before his followers of Israel finally get to go into the promised land. Moses is the center of the first five books of the Bible. In fact, uh, he really may have written part of those books, the basis of those books. And so the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, are often called 
the books of Moses. Because of this, Moses is forever recognized with the number five. Now, you must be thinking, Jordan, this is Christmas Eve. What are we talking about Moses for? And I will admit that I am sometimes a little off my rocker. But this is actually a connection that Matthew makes throughout his reading, the readings that we have been reading today. Just most of us never notice it. In fact, until I studied these texts, I had never noticed it. I'm talking about Moses because Matthew writes his version of the birth narrative of Jesus. And it's different from the Luke account. And he's using the story of Moses to, to, uh, to talk about what child this is. Matthew is a Jewish writer, and he's writing for a Jewish audience, trying to tell them that Jesus is the answer to all their hopes and all their messianic expectations. And at the same time, Moses is, or Matthew is trying to get them to understand that these promises are not just for Jews. They're intended for people who are not Jews, called Gentiles, basically us. So let's look at the book of Matthew broadly. Matthew, if you go and read it, actually divides his book into five sections. There's five sections of Matthew, each of which ends with the phrase, when Jesus had finished his sayings, and then Jesus takes actions. Five sections. Matthew also uh, organizes his birth narrative into five sections, each of which includes the fulfillment of an Old Testament prophecy. How many prophetic Uh, How many prophecies are in Matthew's narrative? Five. And he does it in a really interesting way. He talks about Mary and Joseph. And then uh, he talks about the wise men and Herod. He talks about Mary and Joseph. And then he talks about Herod. And then he talks about Mary and Joseph. He really structures those five very succinctly. If you go back and read it again. Five sections of Matthew. Five sections of the birth narrative. Let me throw a couple other things out here for you. There are five women listed in his genealogy, five dreams in the story, five mentions of Jesus as the Messiah in the story, five specific mentions of Bethlehem in the story. You get so many fives, you start to think maybe this isn't an accident, right? He's actually using five, five, five so that the Jewish people would recognize, I'm talking about Moses here, I'm talking about Moses here. The problem for you and I is that we don't make this connection as easily because we're not as familiar with some of the Jewish teachings outside of the Old Testament. What would be called the Midrash or the teachings of the rabbis. The rabbis had legends about the birth of Moses. And there were a number of them, multiple versions. But the story goes like this. Since all the male children were being killed in Egypt, um, the Israelites decided they weren't going to have any more children. And some legends say they even decided to divorce and have no more marriage so they weren't tempted to have any more children and risk their male children being killed. In one version of the story uh, of the legend, the parents of Moses, Amram and Jacobed, decide to divorce until they are directed by a divine revelation to remarry and have a child. In another version of the story, Amram encourages the people to stay married and trust God. And because he is so trusting and faithful to God, God blesses he and his wife with a child, with a son. 
In several versions of the story, Miriam, the sister of Moses, has a dream and it is revealed to her that her brother will be a man of great importance and will bring salvation to the people Israel. So I'm sorry if this has seemed a little nerdy, but stay with me for just a second. Matthew is doing something really cool and it really says a lot about Christmas and we miss it all the time. Matthew, in five sections of the birth narrative, shows Jesus to have been born by miraculous conception to parents who consider divorce, but do not because of divine revelation. An angel of the Lord comes to them and tells them, no, 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 get married. This child is from the Lord. Then magi from the east come seeking to worship the Messiah. These magi are Gentiles. They're not Jews. And interestingly enough, Herod, the king of the Jews, and the chief priests, priests and scribes that look up where the Messiah is meant to be born seem to have no interest in this Messiah. They don't even go to find out. Herod lies and says that he wants to go find the baby. But we know from the story, he certainly does not want to worship that baby. See, Jesus is born under circumstances very similar to these legends of uh, of Moses's parents, so much so that it is not an accident, particularly when you think about all these number five floating around here. And who is Herod? Herod is set up in Matthew's gospel as the new Pharaoh, just like Pharaoh killed all the male children in Egypt. Um, Herod kills these young ones. And Jesus, like Moses, is spared from this horrible slaughter Then Joseph gets another dream. And where does Jesus and the Holy Family escape to? To Egypt. They go back to the place that the Jews were supposed to have left. And then in a dream, they're told that they can now go back out of Egypt to the promised land once again. Do you see how much Matthew is weaving this story in such a way that it's meant to point back to Moses? By the way, he does this all while sprinkling in other Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah. Like Isaiah 7. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. Or how about Micah 5? But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. Or Hosea 11, when Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. Jeremiah 31, 15, a voice is heard in Ramah, mourning and weeping. That's a verse um, where Israel's looking back and mourning the loss of the children in in, uh, Egypt. And here's Matthew bringing it back again. And what's Matthew pointing to again and again? What child is this? This is the new Moses. This is the new savior of the people, the new lawgiver, this new mediator between God and humanity. And this is the Messiah that Israel has been looking for. And Matthew keeps this going throughout his book, by the way. He keeps this argument up. The next thing that happens when Jesus is older is he's baptized. That's very much like, his, like the Red Sea moment for Moses. And after that, he spends 40 days in the wilderness being tempted to go back on what God had called him to do on his mission. Just like after the Red Sea, Moses led the people for 40 years in the wilderness um, and they were tempted 
to go back. Then Jesus goes to a mountain and gives us the Sermon on the Mount saying, you have heard it said, but I say to you. See, that's the same thing Moses did going to the mountain and giving the commandments. But Jesus is giving new commandments. And both Moses and Jesus and their life uh, going up into heaven on a mountain, giving final instructions to those who followed them. Matthew's argument is this. What child is this? What man is this? Israel, this is everything you've been hoping for. Jesus is everything you've been waiting for. Jesus is the promise, is the fulfillment of every promise God ever made to you. Jesus is the true way to live this life and how to find eternal life. Matthew is using Moses to give us this grand picture that this isn't just a baby. Just some special baby is some excuse to get dressed up and get together and eat cookies and share gifts. No, this, this is the answer to a whole bunch of Israel's questions, a whole bunch of Israel's ponderings, a whole bunch of Israel's forward-looking thoughts. This is the answer to everything Israel had. And it, it's not just for the Jews, Matthew's arguing. Because you know who recognizes in the story who this baby is? Wise men from the East. Not to choose. The wise men recognize who Jesus is. Matthew is using this to build the entire argument of his book. And so here we are on this Christmas Eve, 2,000 plus years later, celebrating this same birth. What child is this for you and for me? Jesus is your hope, your peace. The way to love. The way to grace. He is the answer to everything you've been struggling for. And the response of God for every inch of joy that this world has stripped from you. Jesus is the answer to every question your heart has ever had. And it is my prayer that this Christmas, in a special way, you recognize who this baby is. And what this baby came to do, which was to be with you and die for you and give you life and life to the fullest. Let us pray. Lord, help us to recognize your work in our lives. Help us to recognize the way you come to us. Sometimes in unexpected ways, sometimes in ways barely noticeable. Lord, sometimes we're so busy, we're so afraid, we're so focused on our own problems that we miss it. And so it's my prayer that you would give each of us a sense of what child this is that we celebrate. Let us see Christ as our Savior and our Lord in a special way this Christmas. Amen.